from the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and today we're talking about a topic that's very close to my heart. As you can see, I have a few books behind me. The majority of those books have been unread, and apparently there's a Japanese term for that condition. And I know my guest today has been doing a lot of work in terms of providing insights into how you can read more books. So I'm really keen to know more from our amazing guest today, Noel Ornil. Great. Thanks, Paddy. So thank you so much for the invite. Lovely to be here. Oh, mate, you certainly picked the right uniform today. We got team colours on. (laughs) Absolutely. That's one of my superpowers is the ability to match my clothing with uh, someone else. (laughs) Really a a chameleon at heart. Excellent. So, Noel, for those of us that don't know about your background, it'd be great if you could share your specialisms, just some of the things you're famous for, because I know you're famous for a few things on LinkedIn. Okay. That always makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but I can certainly try and give a little bit of colour as to my background. So I'm born and bred in London, uh, in Chinkford to be specific, kind of northeast London. I've lived here my whole life, which is super boring, even though some people think I've got an Australian accent, but no, it's just a weird kind of Cockney element to it. And yeah, my professional career is over 20 years now mostly in finance, but don't judge me for that. It's followed a what might be a familiar path for some people of business analysis through to project management and then the agile route of scrum master, coach, and then helping organizations kind of with their agile strategy and leadership teams with their enterprise approach to how to work in, in a different way than what they traditionally might have previously. So yeah, probably a lot of people know me from the Agile community. I've been very active in that community over the last five years, I would say. More recently, as you mentioned, I've got a lot of interest in putting a lot of content out around reading and reading more books, but I'm also passionate about drawing and sketch noting. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And there's certainly loads of shared interests there as well. I do want to build up my superpower to read more. So hopefully you'll, you'll give me some help today. It's interesting you talk about financial services because I used to work for Deutsche Bank and spent about six years there. I remember when I first was told about the job opportunity, I went on to Google and uh, I was typing in banking. And it's quite interesting when you look at the uh, suggested search terms that come back just from the word banking, they're not very positive. There were things like bankers are all crooks. There's a whole bunch of negative words that come back. So I know financial services people get a bad name sometimes, but, uh, I can assure you, we're all right. Everybody's there to try and do good. You do get a few people that go a bit rogue, but I think on the whole, we're all nice people. So, Noel, tell us more about your fascination with books. Was this something that started fairly early on in your life or is it something that you've discovered later on? It it definitely has been present from childhood. My parents, both avid readers, generally nonfiction and In one of the rooms in our house where I grew up, there was always a bookshelf that was constantly being replenished with with new books. As I say, mostly fiction. So I'm used to 
being in an environment where reading is something that happens often. And I'm lucky enough to have had access to books throughout my life, which obviously not everyone else does. But yeah, more recently, I would say over the, probably over the last 10 years, I've made a deliberate effort to read more content about the, the role and the, the people that I'm trying to help and the context that I'm working in just to try and be better at what I do, basically. And I mean, it, it, especially in the agile community, there is just so much content out there and good content as well that before you know it, if you're, if you're like a lot of, a lot of people that I know, even uh, UX designers also are guilty of this. And the Japanese term you mentioned is Sundoku. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but possibly not. With an Australian accent, but that's okay. But yeah, the, the, we have this, not obsession, but it's, it's like a dirty little secret of the community where we just hoard content often through the form of physical books that just pile up and just not enough time to get through them. So over the last few years, I thought, right, this is becoming a problem. Two years ago, I said, right, I'm not, I'm not going to buy any books until I've read everything that's in my backlog. And that set me off on this journey of figuring out how to approach that task differently. And I think that's the key thing here, Paddy, is that the way that we're taught to read as kids is a very basic level of reading. Mm -hmm. And whilst we get older and the content and the complexity of the content changes dramatically, the way that we read and the, the skill that was learned when we were, you know, five, six years old hasn't been updated. And that's the key problem that we have. And once you're aware of that and you know how to break it, then all of a sudden the floodgates open. Wow. That's really interesting because I think we all just assume reading is looking at words from the top left of the page to the right going down the page. And I have to say, when I was young, very young, probably about five or six, it was a critical moment in my life because the kids at school was just starting to learn to read. And my parents decided to take me to India for six months on a holiday. You couldn't do that in today's day and age because they'd be charged a big fine. But back then, I really fell behind on my reading. And as a result, I don't know if that was the reason why, but later on in life, I've just never been a very passionate reader. So I think for me personally, I didn't have that encouragement early on and I didn't really have that drive. And I think as a result, I have really struggled with reading over the years. It'll be great to hear how should we read or how should we at least try and change our style of reading so we can get through a number of books a year. I mean, just give us an example, Noel. How many books do you get through on a typical year, say? I... I'm probably around the hundred mark at the moment. So yeah, could easily get through a book in a weekend and a book during the week. I think, you know, that, that's, you know, you say, oh, wow. But to me, that's, it, it, again, it's, it, this is not, this is not about intelligence. This is not about anything other than awareness and a practicable skill. So anyone can do it. That's what I love about this is that it's once people start to, you know, step into that knowledge of actually there's a different way of approaching this task and starting to do some unlearning of that really well-established, well-ingrained pattern of how we read, 
once you start to unpick that, it's it's amazing and it's and it's actually really easy. Well, I know everyone's dying to hear some of those insights. <laughs> so uh, tell us more. So you mentioned about reading, you know, the top, you start the top left of the page and you go through every word left to right and you work your way down and you start a book, therefore you've got to finish it. Well, that is nonsense. With nonfiction business books, there's probably 20% of the content is actually the headlines and the key content. And there's 80% of noise around that. So the skill is about figuring out how to interrogate that book in order to find the bits that are relevant and where those nuggets are. And there's a number of different ways that you can do that. And one of them is actually just to ask yourself some questions, even before you've chosen what book you're going to read next. So I try and only ever read the book that's relevant to what I'm doing now or what I'm interested in now today, this week, you know, what's something that will help me in my job or is going to help me solve a problem that I've got right now. So I'm not just going to pick up any random book. I already know I'm picking something up because there's a need and I want something that's going to help me, yeah, take that next step to solve that problem or answer that, answer that challenge. And then I will look at the front of the book, look at the back of the book, read the table of contents, look at the index at the back, flick through and understand the design of the book. You know, are there sections, subsections? Are there lots of bulleted lists, tables, visuals is something I'm always looking for because I like learning and visualizing things in that way. But you can do all of that within the first five to 10 minutes. So you, at the end of that first five to 10 minutes, you should have an understanding of, right, what's in this book? How is this book laid out? And is this going to help me solve that particular problem or challenge that I've got right now? And if it doesn't, put the book down. Done. <laughs> I would just blindly pick it up and start reading. Like I would never have really spend that time and effort, like you say, just to interrogate, understand the structure, even like you say, if there's some really useful tables and visuals in there, that would probably not cross my mind. I'd probably read the back. I think I'd read the back as just a bit of a, a taster of what it's about. So that bit I'd probably do. And a lot of authors, especially probably in the last 10 years, are much more aware of how to structure a book to help the reader to do this more in mm. Kind of reading. So, a lot of nonfiction business books that have been written recently have got chapter summaries at the end of each chapter. And they'll often come with an appendix or a conclusion chapter at the end of the book. And so, just start by reading them. <laughs> you know, that, that is the highlight, that is the nuggets. And that will, again, that will help you figure out whether there is a certain chapter that you want to spend more time with or whether actually that content is something you're already familiar with and that's not that's not going to help you right now so it's all about filtering that 80 percent out and trying to find the 20 percent as long as that 20 percent is going to help you if it's not don't worry about it and so let's assume we've picked up a book we've spent that time just to validate is it going to give us what we want then what what would i do next should i jump in and out to different chapters What's the next step? Yeah, it will depend on how the book is structured. So some books will have a logical flow to them. So Karim Harbo recently wrote the book, The Six Enablers of Business Agility. 
And so, you know, you can work your way through that. This is number one, this is number two, and so on. But again, you can flip through conclusions at the end of each chapter or the summaries uh, in order, and that will give you what you need. But other books are more of just an abstract collection of ideas. And so in those instances, it's absolutely fine to kind of dip in, dip out, to skip sections, to just go straight to the bit that's relevant for you, rather than, again, that ingrained kind of behavior of start at the beginning, finish at the end. And if you don't, if you don't finish, then you, you have this guilt and this nonsense. It's just, but it's there, you know, I, I've run a workshop now for probably over a hundred people. And it's a consistent thing that comes up of this, almost this guilt, um, of not finishing a book or having a book that you haven't read. And I want to encourage people just to, you know, forget about that. If you've got a bunch of unread books in your house, great. That's amazing. At some point, they're going to come in useful and you've got them ready to go. There's, there's absolutely no shame or guilt in, in having unread books. It's just an opportunity is there waiting for you when you are ready. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is maybe picking up a newspaper in that I'm probably not going to read every page and I'm not interested in every single story. And the nice thing about newspapers is they have some really engaging headlines. And so you can very quickly see which headlines you connect with more. And so you tend to jump into those articles and you skip all of the other stuff, like the, I don't know, the agony aunt section or whatever that might be. That's great. That is great. I hadn't thought of that before, but that is a great metaphor for, for how you should approach reading a book is, yeah, look for the headlines find the things you're interested in and just don't worry about the rest. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I added a, a small bit of value to the conversation. Yeah. The, the other question I had was people talk about speed reading and skim reading. What, what's your view on that? Is that something you would recommend? And if so, like what is speed reading? <laughs> so absolutely. It's a real thing. And again, it's, a, it's purely about awareness about how your eyes work and Knowing that, so well, I was just going to do a demonstration, but it might not work for people who are listening. So uh, your eyes basically don't move in a consistent pattern when you look at things left to right. It jumps. And so having that awareness that you know that it's going to skip means that you can then try and reduce the amount of times it skips and you can try and reduce the amount of times that it goes back on itself. So even something as simple as using a finger on a page and keeping your finger moving at a certain pace and letting your eyes follow that pace, even if it feels uncomfortable and it feels like the content's not going in. It is. Your brain is, uh, I watched a Tim Ferriss video on this recently, and he said your brain is a Ferrari, but you're driving it like a Fiat 500. <laughs> and that is, that is uh, what speed reading can do for sure. So I, I would say within an hour of someone understanding three tips for speed reading, you can double or triple the speed at which you can read. It's that easy. And do you skip words when you're speed reading? Like, are you picking some of the key words and almost filling in the blanks without reading them? Or is it just about reading really fast? It's, it's a bit of both. So when we're walking down the street, our peripheral vision is taking in a huge amount of information and it's processing that even though it's not in our conscious awareness. So we don't walk into 
bushes or lampposts every day or whatever, because their peripheral vision is picking it up and it's just processing it and feeding that back in to, to the, uh, the computer that is our brains and our bodies. And so if we apply that to reading, you can actually take a page and indent just a word on each side and you can if you if you own the book not if you've borrowed it from a library but if you if you own the book you can get a ruler and just draw a straight line indented by one word on each side and then if you add in the using your finger just between those margins actually your peripheral vision will pick up the words on the either side so that's one way of reducing the content on a page immediately by 10, 20% in terms of what you're actively reading, but your comprehension will not reduce. Got it. Yeah, because we are very good at kind of filling in the blanks, aren't we, as humans? And if we're not seeing everything, we will jump to certain conclusions and usually they're the right conclusions. So that's sure. a really good tip. Yeah. And just just on this speed reading, this is this is super interesting as well. It's like there's not two speeds. So you haven't got like 80 miles an hour or 10 miles an hour. You have the ability, once you practice it, to, to dial it up and dial it down. So when you're familiar with a certain author's style of writing and, and you're familiar with the content, you might be able to dial that right up and smash through the content super fast. But again, if there's something then that comes up that's new and that's interesting or a bit complex, you can just dial it down slightly. So Speed reading is not just about reading really fast. It's about being able to adjust the speed that you read up or down, depending on what's in front of you. And what I always find is I start with good intention and first 10 minutes are fine. I'm really focused. Then my mind starts to drift and other things start going on in my head about, oh, wonder what I'm going to be doing tomorrow and and before I know it, I've gone through a whole paragraph and then I'm thinking, oh, I, I, I didn't even take any of that in. Like I've got to go back now and reread it. Yeah. But how do you stay focused? And what would be your advice in terms of how long should you read in one go? Like, do you split that up into small stints or do you just go for a big marathon session? It will probably be unsurprising to you, Paddy, that I would recommend breaking it down into smaller chunks. My favorite technique actually is Pomodoro. So if, if you've got into the habit of reading regularly, the most I would ever do is one Pomodoro. So 25 minutes when you're reading nonfiction for information and understanding, it's a very active activity. So you are using a lot of energy and focus. And so actually 25 minutes is enough. And in your case, where you're saying after 10 minutes, you notice your focus is going off and you've read a paragraph and you can't remember any of it. That's your signal that at the moment, that's your limit. So yeah. don't, don't worry about reading anything more than 10 minutes. 10 minutes is much easier to find in your day than 25 minutes or an hour or whatever other crazy goals we often set ourselves. Oh, wow. It's a really good tip, actually. I've just thought, I'm rubbish at this. So then I put it off and then you don't get anything done. So that's a really good tip. In the world we live in, Noel, it's all about digitization of everything. So audiobooks are really popular. A lot of people now obviously soak in a lot of video content. What's your views on that? Are you a fan or are you more of a traditionalist that would say stick to physical books 
I think you've got to find what works best for you. So there, there are a huge amount of analog and digital tools that can change your experience of reading. And I encourage people to experiment with, with all of them to figure out what, what lands with them for sure. So I, I love a physical book. I love the, the tactile nature of it. And whilst you can bookmark and highlight and make notes on e-readers, there's just something about that physical book that, that I love. But I also use Blinkist. So sometimes if I'm deciding whether to buy a book or not, I'll listen to the 20 minute summary on Blinkist because that pulls out some key highlights. You can listen to that on two times speed. You it again, after about 30 seconds, your brain just tunes in um, and picks it up. Also, if you've read a book in the past that you really liked, you can listen, you can go on, say, Goodreads online and get a really nice summary that will refresh your memory rather than having to pick up the book and, and go through it again. So, yeah, there's a huge amount of, of different ways to apply digital tools to enhance the experience. And I, I, would, I would say to people that there's probably not one right way and that these, all of these different things complement each other. So one of the things I'm keen to do is to help people explore what all those options are and then, yeah, figure out how you want to experiment and play around with those to find what's optimal for you. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I was reading a book called um, Stolen Focus by Yohan Hari, and I'm not sure if that's one of the ones on your bookshelf behind you, but actually not. <laughs> it's, it's thoroughly recommended. I think you'd really enjoy that book. I haven't read as many as you, but that's one of the golden nuggets that I found. And in there, he does talk about how, you know, over the last couple of years, the number of books or physical books that people read has really deteriorated. I think in the UK, it's dropped by about 30% or something from the previous year and, 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 and it's, it's dropping further as, as we speak. And the other thing that's really interesting in there, he, he talks about some research that's been done on which medium helps us retain information better. Is it the physical version or the digital version? And the research seemed to suggest that when it comes to digital, although it's much more convenient, we do struggle to retain it as well as physical. And one of the reasons for that is the way in which we read. And what ends up happening with, with digital is we're constantly flipping up and down. Like our eyes are going up and down. We can scroll through the pages. We can flip between lots of different sections. And because we're not following that linear approach as strictly as we do with physical, it can actually have an impact in terms of how well we retain that information. Now, I personally don't know if, if that would be the case for me or other people. But I just find it really interesting that based on the medium that you read can have an impact on how well that information is actually retained. Yeah. And that, again, is something to experiment with, you know, how, what works for you in order to retain the information. So what works for me is to try and draw a picture of the content that are the key points for me that I've got from that book. Because if I can extract those and visualize it in my own style, I know I can remember that a lot more easy than just reading a book and putting it down. So there's definitely, again, it's figuring out what works for you, but my, my top tip for retention of information that you read or listen to or watch is to put that in your own words somehow afterwards, whether you record it as a voice note 
as to what you've heard the key points, whether you write a bulleted list or whether you try and visualize that somehow, that's, that's going to definitely have more of an impact for your retention than um, just hoping that it sticks. Nice. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think I've, I've seen some of your sketch notes as well online, actually, of some of the book summaries that you've created. And without even reading the book, give you a real good sense of some of the key points, some of the key elements that are covered in there and really gets you hooked on certain books. Mm. Which, and just on that, sorry to interrupt you, but um, in order to create that, I don't have to read that whole book front to back. Sometimes I can sit with a book for an hour and I've got enough information to then go and create one of those visual book summaries. So again, is a, this is a, a learnable, trainable skill of, yeah, finding the nuggets and then processing that information and turning it into something else. So would it be true to say there are times when you would literally skip whole chapters and then still claim to have read the book? Is that okay? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, you know, we're nuancing here on the language, but rather than saying I've read it, I would say that, you know, that book has gone through my workflow. It's, I'm happy to mark that book as done, even though I've read maybe less than one chapter and I hated it and therefore I've decided I don't want to spend any more time with it. But yeah, that book, I've got it. I've picked it up. I've inspected it. It's not for me right now. So, but yeah, have I read it? I, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> got it. Brilliant. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are really keen to know, based on all of the books that you've been reading lately, what would be some of your recommendations for books? Because I, I know we often love to hear other people's perspectives on, you know, some, some, some recommendations and a bit of inspiration on what they should read next. So it'd be great to hear any that you have come across recently that you would say, definitely go and read some of these. Mm. That is a really tough question because I don't know what you need right now. And back to one of my earlier points, making this a very deliberate, active activity of reading, you should definitely consider what yeah, what, what do you need right now that's going to be most helpful, most interesting. So it's a crappy answer, but it depends. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, I absolutely understand. Let's, let's take you as an example though, Paddy. Okay. What's, is there a challenge or a problem or a curiosity that you have right now? I probably have a few, but I think for me, it's about reading something a bit different. So what I find is I, I, I've picked up some books and they talk about leadership, but it's the same concepts regurgitated again and again. So yeah. I'd be really interested to know, you know, what's out there that, that has a slightly different perspective and maybe a little bit controversial even, or something that is going to really uh, shake, shake you up a bit to say, wake up, you know, here's, here's something completely fresh. Yeah. Okay. So there's probably a couple of examples I can give you there. And I, I often find myself in the art world of, of books in when this kind of, this kind of conversation comes up. So I've got one book here. It's called Artful Mating and it's by Austin and Devin. And it was recommended to me by Tobias Meyer. And it's all about how theater companies operate and how they form as teams, how they learn the play 
and how they enact the play again and again and again. And how do they then introduce different people in to take over one of those roles? And how does it vary depending on the audience that's in that night or whether they're doing two performances in one day or just the one? So that is, a, is an interesting book for sure. Again, uh, there is a summary I can send you afterwards that I've done, but that looks at things from a different angle. And there's probably one other one that I would recommend, which is called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon. And he's got 10 tips, basically, that he thinks will help unlock your creativity. But it's just really common sense stuff that whether you're a leader, whether you're a member of a team, whether you've got your own business, it just helps you to your point, look at things in a slightly different way and yeah, break some of those myths that you might hold about having to be completely original all the time. Oh, I love those. Actually, both of those resonate with me because I'm all about creativity and would, would, would definitely, I think, enjoy those. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow up on those. So thank you for, uh, for sharing those tips. Maybe it, I reframe the question a little bit. So what have been one or two really interesting books for you recently? What, what have you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, good question. Sorry, I'm looking, I'm looking on my shelf behind me. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. And I'm trying to look at things that are not just from an agile perspective. You can edit this bit, can't you? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Sorry, it's a tough question. No, it's good. It's a good question. So I would probably pick Okay, I've got two here. So two books that have had a significant impact on me. One is called What White People Can Do Next by Emma DeBerry, who does some work with the BBC and she's written a couple of other books as well. And I took this on holiday and just devoured it and then went back and just started it all again and read it a second time because it's so powerful as a someone who... I openly acknowledge coming from a, a privileged middle-class background. I'm white. I've worked in finance, so things have been fairly easy for me. And I appreciate that that is absolutely not the case for a lot of other people. And it's only really in the last few years that the conversation is changing in this space. And this book helped me as a white person of a privileged background to understand how I can contribute meaningfully to that conversation and actually how to let go of things like guilt for what my ancestors did. Yeah, it, so that is, a, that is a very powerful, provocative book, What White People Could Do Next. And then the other one is, am I allowed to swear on your podcast, Paddy? I'll try and edit that bit out, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like du duck being something. Yeah, it rhymes with duck, it begins with F. So it says, F being humble by a lady called Stephanie Sword Williams. And... It's a really interesting take on self-promotion coming from someone who, who has spoken a lot in the past about humility and the power of that, especially uh, in leadership positions. The title itself triggered me and I thought, well, that's interesting. I want to have a look at that. But it really helps you to understand who you are, what you stand for, and kind of being proud of that and being able to share that in the right way. So... Yeah, ultimately being able to do things like self-promotion, but 
in a in an emotionally intelligent and considerate way. Oh, I love that. I mean, that title obviously is a, is very provocative, and you just look at it and you go, "Hang on." Everyone tells you to be humble, and now this is totally flipping that on its head. And I'm sure they do it in in the right ways to make sure you you don't become an arrogant git. But um, <laughs> it sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, because I love I love a bit of LinkedIn. I love a bit of uh, self promotion, as you said earlier. You know, you've seen my I post regularly, at least once a week on LinkedIn. Um, and I know that not everyone's comfortable with that, but as a result of doing that consistently for, you know, the last few years, people do naturally start to associate you with certain topics and they used to seeing you popping up in their feed every so often. And yeah, over time, if you're deliberate with what it is you want to be associated with, it's, it can be super powerful for your, for your brand. Mm, Talking about powerful so what what is the power of reading all of these great books? I mean, one is about acquiring knowledge, but for you as a person, do you feel it's changed you at all in terms of your perspectives, viewpoints, your behaviors? Whether whether it's changed me, I'm not sure. I think other people would probably be better off to answer that. But What's important for me is the difference between that fixed and the growth mindset. And I'm terrified of becoming fixed in my mindset that Mm. I've been there, I've done it, I know the answers. And for me, reading everyone else's stories and looking at all these other different ways that people approach similar and different problems, whether it's from theatre, whether it's from art, whether it's from DevOps, Agile, whatever it is, there's just so much knowledge in the world that we can't possibly ever absorb ourselves. So, so for me, it's very much about keeping my curiosity alive and helping me remember that I don't know all the answers and that to stay, stay curious and stay, um, stay learning. Yeah, with the growth mindset. <laughs> 